<laughs> whilst the professor is finishing uh, his morning tea, um, it occurred to me to ask him to kick things off and, um, because he mentioned the Latin monetary union at the end of the lecture. Um, the, the, the relevance of making mention of that was, I think, really that there was a gold bond issued by the countries in that union. The countries, if I recall, are, were Greece, Italy, Spain, Portugal? No, no. Around Switzerland. Switzerland. And there was one more, I think. Italy. Yeah, I mentioned. Anyway. So, the usual suspects today. <laughs> you mentioned France. Oh, no, I didn't mention France. No. France, France. So, um, and um, I'm not sure Professor will, will say uh, some of the countries, if not all the countries in the Union, issued gold bonds. Um, and and when, when you talk about that, Professor, could you also say, um, if you know, when and where, and was it Latin Monetary Union, when and where was the last gold bond issued? <laughs> the United States, and it was issued in bad faith because Roosevelt announced the confiscation of gold March 4, 1933. And during that year, they did issue gold bonds, the United States, after, after the... Okay. Um, maybe I'm wrong. Because the gold standard was, was limping along for three more years. It was in 1936 when you can say the gold standard collapsed. Collapsed, and the action was taken by France and Switzerland, others as well. But these are the two main countries. Now, what you want to check out is that, that during these three years, were there any Swiss? gold bonds issued or French gold bonds issued, which I don't know offhand the answer to that. But it would be in those years the final uh, issuance of gold bonds. But it is conceivable that gold bonds were still issued in 1936, but not after. Mm -hmm. But I, I'm happy to mention the United States because they issued gold bonds in bad faith. I mean, how can you default on your gold certificates and still issue gold bonds? It's incredible. It's really incredible. But that's what they did. But, Professor, doesn't that mean that, I mean, why, would, why should we trust today uh, governments that can't pay their debts and debase their currencies if they all of a sudden decide to issue gold bonds, why should we believe that they will pay us back in gold in 30 years' time? Well, I'm assuming, of course, that they will 
exercise proper self-criticism, they will admit that Keynesianism was a uh, dead-end street and it was actually also dishonest because uh, they worked with smoke and mirrors and bad, very bad economic principles and uh, they would make a solemn statement the countries which issue gold bonds. <coughs> now I'm mainly talking about the three, uh, Greece, uh, Italy, France, Italy and Spain. Spain. France is not yet there. France, France is in a better, somewhat better, but could be deteriorating like the German position is deteriorating. But these three countries which are in constant talk, Greece, Italy, and Spain, and it's a kind of irony of history that these countries were right there at the birth of our civilization, ancient Greece, ancient Italy, and Spain as well as a as a Roman uh, colony. So our roots really go straight back to these countries and I think it would be just appropriate if uh, they let the, showed the way out of the crisis to the rest of the world. Because once they did that and they succeeded when the Greeks civilization that includes arts, sciences, literature, what have you. And today, again, they came in from nowhere and they, they could lead the way out. Now, talking about gold bonds and the Latin monetary union, the Scandinavian countries I did mention in their bonds, very special, manga keeps referring to them. <coughs> it's tr true that they were not members of the Latin Monetary Union, but under the Latin Monetary Union, that the system which it created, gold bonds flowed freely. This was uncontrolled capital flows from one country to another. And in some cases, the relationship was formal. These were members of the Latin Monetary Union. In some cases, it was informal. And I think the uh, Scandinavian governments were really at the, uh, you know, they were the top countries where you had conf general confidence. And it's so, uh, sad that they frittered away whatever confidence they built up uh, over well over a hundred years they just frittered it away this is so so sad I mean a uh, country like Sweden could have stayed on the gold standard if they wanted to they didn't suffer in World War one they didn't suffer in World War two and they could have but they didn't they went along with the American default. But uh, 
as I say, the Scandinavian countries' relationship to the Latin Monetary Union was informal. And there were a few other countries uh, also. There was only one country which was non-European which joined the uh, Latin Monetary Union formally. And that was Venezuela, a South American country. No other country was. Uh, th that was not by design, it just so happened. But I thought it was interesting and the uh, Venezuelan gold coin was called Bolivar. Bolivar, the famous uh, freedom fighter in <coughs> Latin America. And uh, so the size, the pure weight, or fine weight, and the shape of the Bolivar was the same as the drachma of Greece, as the uh, lira of Italy, and the others. They kept the name, but it was the same gold coin. And you could spend it at home or abroad, anywhere in a member country, without a discount, exactly the same term. So an importer could make payments in the gold coin of any member country. There's no uh, special provision that you'd have to check them and so on. It's a marvelous system. It's a t you, you can reach that very high stage only if confidence is unquestioned. unquestioned. So this was the case before World War I. And unfortunately, this damage done by the war uh, never healed because they never returned in a meaningful way to the gold standard. None of these countries. The Switzerland kept uh, the gold coin. I, I, or, or let's put it this way. Switzerland was the longest in, in keeping the mint open to gold. Okay. Until when, Professor? Until when? Was that in the 60s? When did Switzerland stop? Uh, 1936, and the month was probably in the summer, okay. August or something. Shall we take questions? Yes, yes by all means. Um, I'm happy to hear the professor saying that uh, there's a way out with the mountain of debt in the world using gold bonds. I'm interested in the future, that uh, how we're going to do that, what is the mechanic, the way of issuing gold bonds. But I assume that you have to have gold standard, you have to have real view, you have to have open a mean to gold. Um, but the government still have to convince the people where are they going to get the gold in 30 years time. Are they going to increase the taxes if the economy didn't grow enough? Otherwise, I mean, people like me are going to the money for 30 years. So can, can we just it has nothing to do with the amount of gold in uh, existence. The, the uh, totality of the, the face values of outstanding gold bonds. Because they are not <coughs> maturing on the same date. You see, the, uh, suppose one country re tires a big chunk of its gold bonded debt this year, okay. 
and the gold is absorbed by the world economy and next year another country has the due date for its outstanding gold bonds. But you see the, the same gold can now be recycled and the point is that it's the ability of the country to attract gold which counts, not how much gold they have in the vaults. So the system will work if the countries take good care that they will be in the position to attract the gold when their gold payments uh, calls for these uh, retirement. You have to re repay your gold indebtedness. So I, uh, there's no problem. It did work. I mean, uh, 19th century, that's exactly the way it worked. If you add up the outstanding amount of gold bonded debt, you get a larger number than the uh, golds in existence. But nobody uh, had any doubts that his gold bond, bond was good because they understood that gold is in circulation. But of course, if one country did something bad, such as defaulting on some minor issue, then that, of course, cut this country off the availability of gold circulation. So, the, I mean, uh, the, the countries were scrutinized, the banks were scrutinized, people did uh, look, not everybody, but most people who understood and could read balance sheets, they did, and if they saw that one country was shaky, then they didn't extend more credit, and there was no question of, of uh, bailing out or any of these uh, so-called measures to stem the crisis. And the uh, banks, which failed and deserved, uh, failed deservedly, uh, were allowed to go bankrupt. And it's just a stupid idea to bail them out. I mean, they have, with their own actions, these banks prove that they are incompetent. So why bail them out? Why will they give them more credit for their incompetence, for their failure, for their, ex <coughs> for their endangering the uh, health of the world's monetary system? Just a stupid idea. And... Um, with this understood, I think the system did work very well, pre-World War One monetary system, just gold standard, real bill circulation, gold bonded government debt. The government debt, I would not go to the extreme that Mises did. Mises was suspicious of, of um, all government debt. I would say that some government debt residue is beneficial because, because they will be serving as capital for the insurance companies, pension funds, and so on. You know, they have a positive role to play. 
and and I think the market will not allow the governments to overissue gold bonds because as soon as they do that, it, there will be uh, flashing red lights all over the board, showing that this, no, no, this is not allowed under the system. Of, uh, one such flashing light is the uh, is the rate of interest. Now, you, I think your question also involved the the mechanism how these go. Okay, but. Uh, what uh, they do is they print the gold bonds with a fixed uh, coupon rate. But uh, actually, when they auction the bonds, uh, it may not be the coupon rate printed which will be effective uh, yield of that gold bond. <coughs> because it depends on the auction price. So you see, the gold bond is exposed to the market and the interest rate is not fixed by the government. Just when they print the bond, they print a coupon rate. They just have to estimate what coupon rate to print on these gold bonds. And the market decides what the actual, the effective gold bond rate will be because the uh, gold bond could be oversubscribed or undersubscribed. If it's oversubscribed, the interest rate goes down. If it's undersubscribed, the interest rate goes up like the Germans certainly <laughs> misestimated. I mean, they issued more than the far more than the market was interested in taking, which is amazing how a country like Germany can do such a major, uh, make such a major mistake. So that's what happens. The uh, gold bond is auctioned, and the face value is carved into stone, and that's gold payment. Okay, so. Whatever it says that that is the amount that will pay um, at maturity, say 30 years from now, uh, that will be carved into stone. That's inviolable. This cannot be violated. However, the coupon rate is also printed on the face of the bond. Now this is not carved into stone because the uh, oh, during the auction the, the price you actually pay for the gold bond will fluctuate with supply and demand. So that's uh, the only case when the coupon rate coincides with the actual rate is when the bond sells at par. But statistically, this is a, uh, an extreme rarity because it hardly ever happens. Either the coupon, either the bond sells above par or below par. Okay. And uh, another signal which will alert the market that there's something wrong is that maturity comes and the 
particular government can repay the gold loan, can retire the gold bond only by borrowing an equivalent or a greater amount of gold. Now the market will immediately see that this country is going to have trouble. And then forget about whatever rate they print on their bonds because it will definitely be undersubscribed under these conditions. So uh, now I, I did make a suggestion. Uh, yeah, I wrote a, an article and I gave the title Cut the Gordian Knot. Now the Gordian Knot was uh, in uh, uh, historical maybe legend, maybe a historical fact that uh, the uh, city of Gordus, I think it was called, uh, had a museum and in this there was a uh, a hook uh, with a knot made of ropes and this was a very intricate knot and the uh, challenge was for a visitor coming from Faraway to untie the knot. And then there was further legend behind it that the, uh, one of the gods, immortal gods, uh, was traveling through Gordius and, uh, with a cart driven by horses and uh, then uh, there was some sign that the gods wanted him to the uh, the, wa the gods wanted this fellow god to stay in that city and, and uh, so he needed he didn't need his coach anymore he cut off the hook and, and the knot was displayed in a temple which was built in honor of that God decided to settle in Gordius. And then this legend developed and nobody could cut the Gordian knot, as it came to be called. Except for Alexander the Great, who during his Persian and other campaigns went through the city of Gordius don't ask me where it is <laughs> because I, I did check it when I wrote the article but that was some time ago and I forgot but you, I'm sure you can look it up on Wikipedia or something and um, uh, <clears throat> Alexander the Great was made aware by the city officials that the, this is the trademark of their city nobody can untie the Gordian knot. So he was led to the temple and shown. Nobody could, I can. Drew the sword, his sword, and just cut it. And the knot fell to pieces, you see. So in a sense he untied the Gordian knot. Now, uh, why is this interesting? Because I did say in my article that, oh yes, um, I 
did write this article for that book, which uh, some of you have in uh, in French. Uh, but uh, by the terms of the contract I had with the publisher, I was not supposed to publish it anywhere else. So that's why that's the only article in the book which does not, which is not on the <coughs> internet. I, I couldn't put it on my website. So I'm telling you because the terms of my contract with the publisher didn't cover this, uh, you know, live talks. So uh, what I suggest and why I like this title, which I thought was fitting, is that the sword of Alexander uh, the Great was a golden sword. And that's why he could cut it. It's not the sword itself, but the golden sword. So uh, the idea is that the Latin monetary union will succeed. But not with the euro, if they tried paper money and uh, pretend that we are the Latin monetary union, blah, blah, blah. <coughs> fizzle out. But if they brought back the gold coins, of the Latin, same shape, same size, maybe not the same monarch, but uh, I'm sure Switzerland will still have Helvetia, uh, which they did uh, in uh, 1866. The first uh, Swiss franc was minted in 1866. <coughs> That's the golden sword which can cut the Gordian knot. And the Gordian knot is our uh, miserable situation in the world of finance. And with that golden sword, you can untie it. But try paper or this or that or that. Forget it. It's not going to work. Okay, I, I've said enough. <laughs> I want to give you a chance. Any other questions yeah. the gold bonds? Just, so the, the, what you're saying is the interest on those gold bonds is actually the gold coin. <coughs> yes. The interest on the gold bond is payable in gold coins. So if I hold, and, and who would, how would the price of gold be determined just by the gold coin? The fact that there is three gold coins. Well, there's a mathematical formula which translates the bond price to the interest rate which the bond promises to pay. And it works both ways. If you give me an interest rate, I can tell you exactly what bond price will correspond to it in case of a gold bond, and vice versa. That's no problem. Mathematicians know how to do that. And this, uh, very often it's not a formula, but it's a table. And all bankers have tables. Just like mortgage tables, very similar to mortgage tables, which count, I don't know how many decimals, but they do count uh, what your monthly payment is on your mortgage if the interest rate is such and such. And then moves, then you have to. But, but this would be working in parallel with currencies. Hmm? 
What Peter's question really is, is um, if the bond is issued in gold and paid, interest is paid in gold, what is its value in the currency? Would it, would it work in, in parallel with the currency? You, we are assuming paper currency? <coughs> yes, assuming that uh, a, a country issues, assume a, a country in Europe issues gold bonds, but the euro still exists, and there is a euro price for gold. Now you have to use two exchange rates. One is the price of the euro in terms of gold, or vice versa. And then you have to uh, go to these uh, tables which give you the actual bond price given the rate of interest. So the bond price would fluctuate with the price of gold in euro? Not with the gold in euro, the paper <coughs> euro, yes. yes. I'd just add a few thoughts. I think I see where this all goes. So when the bond is sold on day one, let's say it's a 100-ounce gold bond, then that should be worth $176,000. And that, that might be the price that it starts at. But as people start to perceive that paper bonds are falling, and paper currencies are falling, and gold is being remonetized, and particularly if the government demonstrates that it is behaving in good faith and that the interest is going to be paid in gold or is being paid concurrently in gold, then what will happen is the gold price starts to move up and then there becomes an exchange rate where you could retire a larger and larger number of paper bonds for one gold bond and you could clean up the whole mess and recapitalize everything as the price of gold heads. That's where all of those calculations that we talked about on Monday for what ought the price of gold to be to recapitalize the world. If gold got to $10,000 an ounce, let's say, from where it is now, that's a, what, a six or seven times gain, then you could retire all these old paper bonds without defaulting because the price of gold has soaked it up. I no. think that's where, correct me if I'm wrong, I think that's where this no, goes. Yeah, you are correct. You are quite good. Yeah, I guess. There's no price. It, it, there's a fixed bond. There's a fixed gold weight. Yeah. I like to make a distinction between a gold bond, what we're talking about, and a gold-backed bond. Gold-backed bond is a paper bond with gold as collateral. A gold bond is gold, future gold, and gold interest. And when the guy goes out with paper to bid on this 30-year bond, he's not just bidding on that, he's bidding on 30 years of gold interest and gold value in 30 years. No. So he's not going to be paying $1,700 an ounce worth, he's going to be paying maybe $5,000 right off the bat because he expects the paper to go away. And you see what I mean? Not a gold-backed bond. I've heard talk on the internet about a gold-backed bond. This is a gold bond, pure gold through. Yeah. Yes, but I think you can still make the point that the price of that bond in the currency fluctuates. Sure, but I think it's fluctuating up. Like well, crazy. if you don't <laughs> fluctuate, yeah. Thank you, Rudy. That's a very valid remark. And, uh, now, I want to say something because I, I explained how uh, a going gold bond financing would go midstream, but uh, the very first 
issuance of gold bonds would be different because it's not the paper money I mean uh, or, or even gold gold bullion or gold coins which would buy you the gold bond but the government would announce that we have a plan to refinance the entire government debt in gold bonds and then it man would mention that the first tranche of gold bonds will be a certain amount and those all and only those are invited to participate in the action who want to convert euro bonds that is paper bonds into gold bonds oh, okay. so it at, it is at the option of the euro uh, bond holder okay. whether he wants to stay with the paper paying uh, high interest or oh yeah that's also something I should have emphasized during my talk that the uh, refinance that uh, when you uh, float a gold bond it will command a, a realistically low interest not zero Ben uh, Bernanke kind of interest rate but a real market rate so uh, the government issues that all right these gold, gold bonds are available for con uh, in payment for the converted euro bond issue on such and such a date in such and such a quantity and then the people who are interested they subscribe you know and then again it could, could be oversubscribed or undersubscribed but uh, <laughs> my guess is it will be heavily oversubscribed so next time uh, after say half a year or, or maybe another country starting with Greece and then Italy and Spain would announce another auction again similar that the government of Italy would say that such and such a um, euro denominated it could be bond could be note could be whatever but uh, something for which the government of Italy is responsible offering uh, for conversion so many gold bonds denominated in the gold lira and then let people bid so uh, it will be an equilibrium price. Again, I would say to the oversubscribed, and and uh, this is this would continue as long as it takes to get rid of and wipe out the whole euro bond market as it exists. You see, so I think it's a very realistic plan, and only after the euro bond market was wiped out would. Uh, gold bonds uh, sold through auction against gold coins and uh, my expectation is that during that period of time uh, the mint uh, is open to gold and uh, there will be enough gold coins in circulation that those who have them could buy their new issue of uh, 
gold bonds, paying gold coins for it, which should definitely happen. I'm not predicting that it would happen in two years because probably it wouldn't, but maybe after a decade or 15 years or something, but certainly before 30 years when the bond matures. So uh, I, <laughs> I, I did uh, work out some of the details of this, not all, but some, and uh, I'm, I'm very confident that it would fly. It would fly. And there, there would be a demand for gold bonds. And uh, yeah, and uh, answering the one of the questions, maybe yours, at the beginning of this session, is that uh, there, the confidence would return slowly, but it would return because people would do the, their little calculation and say, no, that's a reasonable plan. I can see how I can refund the paper issue. And you, you see, more and more people would see that their euro bonds will end up zero, nothing. They would be able to show nothing. But if they bid for the gold bond, offering so many of the paper euro bonds, in, in payment, then they might just retain, if not the whole amount of their original subscription to the paper bond, but at least something they could show for it. Well, the prerequisite, I think you mentioned this, for any of this to happen is for uh, the authorities to acquiesce that they have uh, failed miserably and uh, they, they need to go back to a sounder uh, yeah. Yeah. they would if have that to say happen. they should uh, <laughs> throw ashes on there can you see that happening professor I can you can well kick out Ben and then the, the, his successor no it's, it's uh, the, the, the the treasury that appoints the, the president of the United States that appoints the well he then kick out the next one until a, a reasonable guy will turn up and then he would see that really the whole thing depends on confidence and we just have to be uh, humble about it and admit that our predecessors made terrible mistakes not even just mistakes but actually criminal uh, things like uh, grabbing people's, people's gold, you know, uh, some of whom were uh, widows and orphans, and, uh, and stole it. Uh, that's the word, yeah. stole it. But such an admission would have an immediate impact on the price of gold, wouldn't it? So would that not... Uh... So be it, but I don't think it would because they, this guy would be attacked, his character would be uh, attacked. And, you know, they would say, oh, somebody must be paying, uh, maybe the oil shakes or the gnomes of Zurich or something, you know, dream of some uh, boogeyman, <laughs> bad guy. And it, it, you know, it's it against everything we have been teaching at our great universities for 50, 60 years. 
It's, you're probably you're probably right because I, I for one have been talking to investment professionals for five years and they don't and they still don't get it. So no, <laughs> right, Rudy, you're begging yeah. to say something. Yes, uh, in the Swiss Parliament, the largest Swiss uh, political party is already working on introducing or reintroducing the Swiss gold coin. Used to say they can't tack tack on another bit of the platform, not just a gold coin but a gold bond. And then you throw the other rascals out, and these guys go in, and they do it. What's to stop that? But it happen? doesn't make sense until the Swiss mint is open to gold. It's not enough for the Swiss government to issue another souvenir gold. We have lots of souvenirs. American uh, gold eagles, Canadian maple leaves, uh, Chinese pandas, Australian whatever. Gold kiwis. Yeah. <laughs> So that's not enough. It has to be an official coin, not just a souvenir coin, of course, I understand. And you know, to, uh, somebody showed me a, a one ounce silver uh, euro. So ridiculous to put down one euro on a one ounce pure silver coin. I mean, they really take us for idiots. <laughs> they really do. <laughs> and the point of having the mint open, Professor, is it not that you do want to uh, ensure that the issuing state has the means of attracting gold to pay it back? Yes. Yeah, right. Well, that's part of it. Part of it. But the government could have, and I'm, I'm advocating this, the government could have excise taxes payable in gold. That's uh, one of the secrets of the... North American Union, the Lincoln regime, mm -hmm. which introduced the greenbacks, a very bad uh, thing, but it did save the Union. Right. And the secret was that they never uh, repudiated the uh, uh, debt of the Union uh, of, of the United States. They could have. So from now on, it's greenbacks. Forget about gold, forget about silver. So they didn't do that. They were very punctual, the, the U.S. Treasury in Washington. As opposed back then, back then. Hmm? Back then. Back then. <laughs> uh, to, uh, to meet every payment of interest, every payment of principal as it fell, fell due. And uh, in order to have the gold to do this, they had to have a gold income. And the way they did it was they levied uh, custom duties in gold coin and excise taxes in gold coin. And it worked. And, uh, and uh, Nixon should have copied this. And then perhaps there would have been an early return to the gold standard in the United States after 1971. Never happened. They, I mean, they were so obsessed with their uh, divine power. Yes? One thing that, that we could add to this is that certain countries, like Italy, like the United States, have significant existing gold reserves. Officially. Well, so assuming, assuming they audit it and prove that they really have the gold, if the United States were to issue up to 8,000 tons worth of gold bonds, 
the, the gold is actually there, even if the United States didn't have a gold income for the time being, the gold is actually there, you don't have to worry about default. Well, it was the income tax, but it was custom duties which did exist ever right. since the beginning of the American Republic. So I, uh, I would say the scheme would work even if they had zero gold to start from, because uh, if you uh, collect gold excise tax on luxury cars, Porsches, maybe <laughs> Alfa Romeo, Ferrari, or what have you, huh? they would just put the gold uh, tax, excise tax, which is payable in gold. Forget dollars, forget euros. You've got to pay it in gold. Then you can have your car. Or uh, you, uh, uh, you can buy yachts. But only if you pay the excise tax in gold at a prescribed rate, you see. Then you, you would have, the treasury would have a gold income. Because there are people who are not going to give up just because it's collected in gold. They would, if they don't have gold, they would have to go to the market and buy the gold. And then they can buy the, uh, their Porsche. And uh, I went further than that. I said, now, let's go to the poor man's gold, which is silver. And I, I'm suggesting that municipalities uh, should collect uh, real estate taxes, which includes taxes on houses, on condominiums, what have you. In gold, in silver, silver, okay? So poor man's gold, silver, okay? And that would have the effect that they could phase out unemployment insurance because the uh, income from this would be spent by the municipalities, would increase the employment base in that uh, jurisdiction. And then they would use it to hire people to do s street cleaning and gardening in the public parts and uh, similar things. Infrastructure, fixing bridges and and uh, uh, such things. Professor, they already collect municipal tax and don't do anything. So why would, why would collecting silver improve things? Well, uh, now, I mean, I, I don't have the answer to all the questions. And obviously, um, I, uh, experts could improve on my ideas. But I, I thought that uh, really to own your home, where you live and your family live, is really not a right, not a birthright. It's a privilege. You've got to, uh, it's a mistake to make it a government uh, program that everybody should own his, his own house. I mean, there are obviously people who don't know how to finance a major purchase, such as purchase of a home, and they don't have any idea about maintaining it. So uh, if, if too many people in your street are this kind of mentality, and I don't want to make uh, racist regards, uh, it 
could be just a coincidence, but that's a fact of life that some people do not maintain their property. They move into your street and then real estate prices start dropping in that street because 10% uh, of the people don't have any idea. They think that, uh, that uh, a mortgage is like Santa Claus and you don't have to do anything about maintaining your property. But if you don't, then before the mortgage matures, your house will lose its value. So that's not a good idea to have governments, elect governments, which promise people sky, uh, pie in the sky, that you can have your own home. So those who appreciate the privilege of owning their own home, they would go to the silver market and buy the silver and then use it to pay the property tax. And those, those who don't, they will have to rent. And this is again a good thing because if the rental property business, the rental property industry reinvents itself, then there will be a lot of new jobs available because the, these rental units will have to be built. Right now, the kind of real estate market we have uh, actually looks at rental property as something substandard, but it doesn't have to be. It could be very high standard. So uh, that's, I think, uh, well, I can only say I strongly believe in this. Now you may argue that I'm optimistic, but I, I think this is, this is what would solve the problem. It would bring silver and gold out of hiding because there would be incentive. The people who want yachts, they have to release some gold. And then if this catches on, then more people will buy yachts. And more gold will be released into the economy. And ultimately there will be saturation points and gold coins will circulate. And uh, gold bond financing will, uh, will be taken for granted. How, how are we doing with time? We have time for okay. more questions, please. Professor, um, you went through the, and talked about the speculators uh, and how they made profits in the, in the bond market. Um, you then said, uh, we want to say that governments will continue to have deficits, so there will always be a, an increasingly bigger supply uh, of bonds to the market. But I couldn't understand, and I, I may have got it incorrect. You said that because of the speculators, there will always be uh, an unlimited supply of buyers for the uh, for the bonds. Um, as I understood it, the the Reserve Bank came out at say on day one and said tomorrow I'm going to issue some more some more bonds, and here are the terms. So on day zero, well, as soon, soon as the uh, J.P. Morgan found out about that, they went out into the market and found some bonds that were going to uh, fall due for repayment the next day. And by doing their maths, they were able to buy them and, and, and sell them at the, the following day at a fixed price, knowing what that price was going to be, and take a margin. But the government is selling bonds for the next 
say, one, two, or three years, and who are, who are going to be the continuing suppliers of those one, two, or three year bonds? Are you talking about gold bonds or? No, just as it is now. Irredeemable bonds. Yes, uh, because I think what you said was that the system is set up now so that there's going to be an ever-increasing supply of bonds, but but there's also a sort of an inside job where there's going to be a, a, an ever-increasing buyer of those bonds, so that therefore the system can just keep going. Um, I did say price. that, but I also said that... Up to a point. That yeah. up to a point, because, because speculators, of whatever they may be and whatever you may call them, they are not stupid. And, and uh, they, they are willing to play the game because they know that there are enough stupid people around. Yes. But then they uh, readjust their estimate every day or several times a day. And when they realize that the supply of stupid people is after all not infinite, okay. then they will stop the music. And when they do, that's it. And no, don't ask me when will this happen. But I have very high respect for the speculators. Nothing I have said here today or ever anywhere in writing or in, in words uh, means disparagement. As long as they use their own funds to speculate and they do not pass on their losses to society. Because some of them do, and of course I would condemn them in no uncertain terms. But I would assume that just like every other profession, there will be a majority of honest people and there will be a, a, a minority of dishonest people, and, and uh, we just have to qualify what we say about that. I have very high regards for that. Speculation is more than just a it's a necessary profession because without speculation we would be expo we would run from too hot to too cold oversupply and, and uh, scarcity and a lot of suffering if prices go too high that hurts the consumer if prices go too low that hurts the producer and you know but with the uh, speculation being part of that, it can be kept within limits and in an optimal way, neither consumers nor uh, producers will be penalized when some natural disaster strikes somewhere in the world. So please make sure that you don't misquote me. I'm not condemning speculation. Okay. I'm, I'm condemning risk-free speculation, but that's not the fault of the speculator. My question wasn't about no. speculators. I have no problems with that. It was more the continuing supply. And I think what you said was there won't be a continuing supply. Eventually, that the buyers of the bonds will, will disappear. It's, we don't know when, but at some stage they will. Okay. I think you're not clear on the supply. The supply is the treasury. Yes, sorry. And the treasury will keep writing them forever yeah. as long as they keep getting money for it. 
and it's the buyers who will dry up sooner that they will not buy it. I think that's that's the point. Yeah, that's <coughs> you can look at it in a way as the, the ultimate buyer is the Fed, but in between these guys grab a chunk of it. Well, we've reached the end of uh, the morning session, and um, we uh, start again at 2 p.m. this afternoon. Would you please join me in thanking the professor?